1 John chapter 3, not John chapter 3, but 3 John. 3 John is where we're going to be at. We're going to preach an entire book of the Bible today. Don't be worried, it's the, I think, second shortest book also in the New Testament. So, um, We're going to look at how we live And we're going to see that how we live is very important as believers. Now, next week, we're going to start a series in 1 John. That's 1 John. Uh, John, uh, he wrote actually quite a bit. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. He wrote a bunch of the New Testament. And in much of his letters, he's communicating how we are to live as believers. And today we're going to see a very specific way in which he is calling us to live. And so uh, John is going to be writing to encourage a man named Gaius. His purpose is to encourage him because there's another man in the church named Diotrephes uh, who is causing problems within that church. Now he, he's either in the church or he's a, a neighboring church, this Diotrephes guy. And so I want, us, I want us to recognize just the tone in which John writes, but also how he is calling us as Christians to live. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read. We're going to read the entire book. It's only 15 verses. Verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet friends, every one of them. Let's pray. Father, we come now to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We praise you and we thank you for the salvation that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. We know that you have saved us, so we would show your love through our actions in this world. And Lord, I pray that you use your word today to help us understand how we're called to walk in the truth. May we see that our love for one another reveals our faith in you. May we see that you have called the church to support 
missionaries and to support the proclamation of the gospel. And it's as we do that, we're walking in the truth. We are proclaiming your name also into all areas of this world. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see the beautiful truths in your word this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. And so we're going to just make our way. We're not going to cover everything in the letter. We're just going to kind of cover probably the main aspect of this letter. And what I want to begin is just John affirms his love and support for Gaius. The letter begins by John affirming his love and support. Uh, He uses the word beloved many times to refer to Gaius and his love for him. We see that he's been troubled by a man named Diotrephes. Diotrephes appears to be a leader in the church. I say this because in verse 10, he seems to have influence. He has the ability to remove people from the church. Um, So whether he's in Gaius' church, uh, again, we're, we're not sure, but he somehow is kind of a thorn in the flesh. In verse 1, John refers to himself as the elder. Now, he probably does this for, for at least two reasons. Number one, he's reminding everyone, mainly Gaius, but those who also would hear this letter, of the authority in which he is writing. This is coming from the apostle John, the beloved one of Jesus Christ. And so he wants to remind that. But secondly, I think he really wants to affirm Gaius. He wants him to remember, to see just who is affirming him. This is... This is John, the apostle, the elder, maybe perhaps the one who has planted this church, uh, perhaps has close relationships with this church, and he's wanting to know, I am supporting you, not just anyone, but me. I've walked with Jesus, I'm an apostle, I'm coming alongside you and encouraging you right now, Gaius. And he says, uh, in verse 3, we see John has heard a positive report about Gaius, he's pleased to hear he's walking in the truth. In verse 4, John said he has no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. He loves Gaius. He loves what he hears about him. He has great joy in what is happening in Gaius and in his church. What we're going to see is that Gaius is a man who walks in the truth, and Diotrephes does not. And so before we look at at these two men, I want to briefly just unpack what does it mean to walk in the truth? We see that. What does that mean? John uses the, tr- the word truth uh, many times in his letters, in the Gospel of John, in his letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. So what does he mean? He used it four times already in just the first four verses of 3rd John here. And so there's sometimes when John uses the word truth, he uses it to refer to one of the members of the Godhead. And so like in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. So the truth refers to Jesus. Jesus says, I am truth. In fact, in John 1.14, Jesus says, I am full of grace and truth. So not only is truth, but he possesses truth. In John 15.26, uh, Jesus speaking again, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. So here, Jesus is truth, and the one he sends, the Spirit, is truth. Now, the majority of time, that John uses the word truth, it's to describe the Christian life, either our identity in Jesus or what our life actually looks like. So here's just a few examples. 
1 John 1, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So practicing the truth is contrasted with walking in darkness. So again, it'd be the Christian life. 1 John 2, 4, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So those who disobey God do not have the truth. Thus, the opposite would be those who obey God have the truth. 1 John 3, 18, little children, let us not love in word our talk, but in deed and truth. So here, we see truth is combined with deed, and it's somehow revealing the activity of the Christian life. And so I say that because we want to know, what's he talking about? Now, we could probably have guessed it, and we've probably been pretty right that he's talking about uh, obedience to Christ, the Christian life, but it's good to, to see how does he use the word truth, and is that really what he's talking about? And so if we did put a definition behind what is it to walk in the truth, we might simply say it is to live in obedience to Christ. It's how the Christian lives. It's obedience to Christ, and we'll actually unpack that definition a little more later. So as we look, we got two pictures of this. We have a picture of what it is to walk in the truth with Gaius, and we have a picture of what, it's not to, of what it looks like to not walk in the truth with Diotrephes. And the main thing we're going to see is that when we walk in obedience to Christ, we're going to love others. We're going to see that all throughout this letter. It is to love others. And so we begin, we'll look at Gaius, and the first thing I want us to see is he loves missionaries. This is the occasion of this letter. He loves missionaries. In verse 6, missionaries have returned to John, and they have testified to Gaius' love. When missionaries had visited Gaius and his church, he welcomed them, he loved them, he supported them, he encouraged them, he made known his love for them. Listen, as Christians, one thing we clearly see all the way from the beginning to the end of the Bible is that we are to be known for our love. We are to love all people, but especially those of the household of faith. We're to especially show our love for one another. We see this in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is our love that reveals that we are Jesus' disciples. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Why do we know that? Because we love brothers. He's specifically emphasizing the relationship we have with believers. And he says, whoever does, not love, whoever does not love abides in death. It is our love for one another that gives us assurance of our salvation, that reveals our faith in Christ. And we don't even need to know each other to love one another. Did you know that? Look at verse 5. It says, they were strangers. These missionaries show up. Gaius has no idea who they are. They simply come and they say, hey, we believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe they say we're, we're from John's church. We, we don't know exactly what is said, but we know they're strangers. He, he has no real familiarity with them, and yet he loves them. Our familiarity does not determine our actions with one another, but when we know that we are believers, we are called to love one another because when we come to faith, what we see is that we're adopted into the family of God. So we become brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you're here today and you've trusted in Jesus, we're brothers and we're sisters in Christ. And God is our Father. That is the relationship that we have with one another. Isn't that incredible? 
And that relationship goes far deeper than even our blood relationships with our children, with our actual, what we might say, blood-related brothers and sisters. When we come together in the gospel, there is a deeper union that holds us together. It is the blood of Christ, which is unbreakable and holds us so that we will be brothers and sisters, not only in this life, but in the new heavens and new earth for all of eternity. This is the good news of the gospel. And so we see that Gaius, he's loved them. And notice how he loves them. Verse 6, he treated them in a manner worthy of God. He doesn't say, I don't really know you, but I know you're, I know you're missionaries. Let me just kind of help out a little bit. No, he lavishes his love upon them. He helps them in every way possible. He, he's what we would call hospitable. And hospitality throughout the Bible, we see, is a vital way that we as believers show our love for one another and especially for other believers. And so I just want to give a few reasons why hospitality, why this opening of our lives and our homes is so incredibly important. Number one, it's how we demonstrate our faith. Look at verse 5. John says, it's a faithful thing you've done, Gaius. By being hospitable, by loving them, by supporting these ministries, you have revealed your faith. This is why a hospitality, if you look in 1 Timothy 3.2 or Titus 1.8, hospitality is a requirement for elders within the church. If you're going to have men who stand before you and help shepherd and guide the church, we want to know that they love others. That they open up their houses, their lives, their resources, their time, all that they have, that they would serve the church. And so hospitality is an essential way in which we love one another. Number two, it's how we may be entertaining angels. Now I threw this one in here, it's not really in our text, but um, it's something that we we might not realize in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 your reference might say verse 3 in your bulletin um, but it's verse 2 sorry that was my bad but this is what it says just think through what is being said here do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers why for thereby some have entertained angels unawares just let that sink in for a moment. Again, that kind of crazy? He's literally saying, when you bring people in, when you serve people, when you help people, especially strangers that you don't know, they might be angels. And you actually might be serving those who are ministers to God in a different realm. That's incredible. Now, it doesn't go into a lot more depth right there. But what it does, it shows the the power and the need and the devotion of God and the necessity of hospitality and how it's used not only to love one another, but also to love divine beings that are, are created to serve God. It's also how we show our love for Jesus. So not only is it how we show love to others, not only is it how we show love to divine beings, but it's how we love it's how we ultimately show our love for Jesus. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40, um, I encourage you, go back and read this whole section uh, later today. But Jesus gives a parable of the final judgment. And so he wants to say, these people are going to be with me in the new heavens and new earth. These people will not be with me. 
Okay, so that, that's how he divides. He says, these are sheep, these are goats, these will be with me, these won't be with me. And so now he's going to tell us, how do you know which one you're in? And so this is what he says. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was also I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will come to him and saying, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? So they say, when did we do this, Jesus? I never gave you water, Jesus. I never clothed you, Jesus. So this is how Jesus answers. Um, I just lost my spot. Then the righteous will answer, and in verse 38, And when did we see you, a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40, the king will answer him. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, what's interesting, the word least of these, all throughout Matthew, is used to refer to believers. Never unbelievers, always believers in the book of Matthew. And so, in context of the book of Matthew, we would then come to that parable and say, okay, he is saying, as we serve the church, as we, see, as we serve believers, as we clothe them, as we take care of them, as we meet their needs, as we love them, we're actually loving Jesus at that moment. So our love for one another, our love, what Gaius is doing here, our love to take in missionaries and support them and encourage them and love them is one of the key ways that then we also at that time show our love for Jesus. So what John has done here is he's, he's shown, I've affirmed you, Gaius. Diotrephes is coming against you. He, he's a thorn in your flesh, but I'm affirming you. You're doing the right thing. You've loved well. And now what he's going to do, we're going to see um, why it is so important that we do love missionaries. Because what, what's brought this letter about is Diotrephes' um, opposition, and John's affirming him. And what has he done? He's supported missionaries. And so what I want to see is why is it so important then as Christians that as we show love to others, it's especially necessary that we show love to missionaries. And what we're going to see is that he, um, he supports those who proclaim the gospel. Look at verse 8. John commends Gaius by saying we ought to support people like these, these missionaries, these strangers that have come. Gaius has done exactly what we're supposed to do. We're to love missionaries, and we're called to support them. Now, there's really only two ways that we categorize Christians. Um, and I've a little bit adopted this from Jason Meyer, who is a pastor at Bethlehem Baptist in Minneapolis, and, and he preached on this text, and he uses these terms. And so I like that he used them, so I'm stealing them from him. But there's really, there's goers and there are senders. Now, real quick, uh, both are called to share the gospel. Senders will share the gospel locally. Uh, goers will share the gospel globally. Now, in one sense, we're all senders. We are all, not, well, we're sinners too. We're all senders. Make sure I'm saying it right. We are all sinners. Even the people who go are still sinners because as they raise up believers in the gospel, what are they doing? They're raising them up that they would go out and make disciples either locally or globally. So we are all always sinners, always sinners. 
But what I want to do is, is, is so we'll, we'll term goers as those who specifically leave their local context, their local church, for the purpose of going globally to proclaim the gospel. Now, both senders and goers are necessary. In our text, we're going to see why senders are so incredibly important. Number one, by our sending, we partner with missionaries in the spread of the gospel. Look at verse 8. That we may be fellow workers for the truth. You hear that? Senders are partners with goers for the spread of the gospel. Our senders, our sending is essential to their going. Often, goers can only go because of senders. Do you realize that? The sending is necessary. Not, not just the financial, but the prayer, the support, the encouragement is necessary for the purpose of those who are going. And as I've looked just over it, Third John, just this week, and have prayed over it and thought about it, my prayer is that we as a church will be known not only for going, but for sending and sending well. I want us to be a church that sends well. By our sending, we make it possible for missionaries to go. Look at verse 7. We see that missionaries have received nothing from Gentiles. Now occasionally, so the word Gentiles here simply refers to unbelievers. Occasionally, unbelievers will give believers money, right? They'll say, hey, it's great. We had some people for our Lebanon auction that were not believers here. But they said, what? You're going to go teach English to uh, Syrian refugees and help out? That sounds like a really noble task. We'll give some money. So occasionally that happens. But primarily, it is the church's responsibility to support missionaries. It is not the world's. It is the church's responsibility to support missionaries. And if we don't support them, they won't go. If we don't support them, they won't go. In fact, this is why God gives us jobs, money, and resources. We have those things for many reasons, but a primary reason is for the spread of the gospel. Hear this, your job, whether you like it or not, and some of you don't, and some of you, you know, go ups and downs, like right now you like your job, later you don't like your job, but in all those times, God uses your job as a means in which you love and support missionaries for the proclamation of his glory into the nations. He uses your job. Going back to to verse 8, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. We are working for the truth in the proclamation of the gospel by sending well. That's the whole point. That's the purpose of this. So when we send, when we give, when we pray, when we help those who go, we're partnering with them. We're locking arms with them. They might be the ones with boots on the ground, speaking the gospel, learning the languages, but they do so in the power of those who are sending them as we pray for them, as we love them, as we encourage them, as we visit them. So let us, let us send well. Know that your job, it's not just a job for your family. It's a job for the family of God. That God's name would be proclaimed to all areas of this world and people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language would come into the very family of God. Now you might say, look, I, I don't actually make very much money. That's okay. Um, God never says how much to give, but one statistic I read, and I thought this was just interesting, 
Do you know if you make more than $25,000 a year, you're considered to be in the top 10% richest people in the world? You realize that? 25,000. Every server, waiter in Thurston County can make that money no problem at the restaurants they serve at. Top 10% richest in the world. Just, just put that. So it's not about how much we give. It's just how do we give? Maybe it's financially, but how do we give of our time? How do we give of our resources? How are we devoting our time into prayer as we are supporting those who are going? Psalm 67, we read that God, God's purpose is for his glory to be made known and enjoyed among the nations. Do you know that? That's his purpose. He said, I've created, and my purpose in creation is that my name would go out to all the ends of the world. And not only that it would be made known, but that people would hear and believe and enjoy his name. Meaning they trust in him, they experience his love and his grace. By our sending, we proclaim the very glory of God. Why do missionaries go? Verse 7, for the sake of the name. They go for the sake of the name. They go so other people would hear the gospel, they would hear about Jesus Christ and how he has died on the cross and that they would be saved, and God would be glorified. And again, we go back to verse 8. Though, therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. When we lock arms with them, we are helping in the sending uh, of these people, that as they proclaim the name, our sending is a means in which God's name is proclaimed. Do you realize that? When we send, we also are proclaiming the name of God. And we do that in many ways. We do that just in the partnership of sending. We do so in the prioritizing of the sending and how we devote money, either as a church or individually, as we devote time and prayer, as we devote our resources, as we might send people from the church to visit them, to encourage them wherever it is that they are in this world. When we send, we are proclaiming the name of God. So a lot of times, we need goers. We always need goers. But let us never underestimate the power of sending also. We lock arms with those who are going. It is necessary to have some people stay here for at least a period of time that they would support those who are going. What is pause. Do you know how God has revealed his love for us? Just think about that. How has God revealed his love for us john answers that question if you just go a little to the left in first john 4 just a few pages to the left first john 4 verse 9 probably like three pages this is what we, in this the love of god was made manifest among us so this is how god reveals his love that's another way to say that that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And then verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. So this is love, that he loves us and sent his son to be the propitiation from our, from our sins. God reveals his love by sending his son. Just think through that. God reveals his love by sending his son. God is love, but if he did nothing, then he would not be a God of love. Love always must move outward. If you tell your wife you love her, but you do nothing for her, you don't love her, right? 
There has to be visible demonstrations of that love. Love is always outwardly moving. Always outwardly moving. And so here, we see that God is love in that He sends His Son, Jesus. And what does Jesus come to do? Verse 10 there in 1 John 4, He comes to be the propitious sacrifice. Now that's a word we use a lot, propitiation. If you're new here, that sounds like a really weird word, and it is a little bit. You probably won't use it at lunch, although I challenge you. Try to. Um, It means to absorb the wrath of. So Jesus comes to die on the cross to absorb God's wrath that we should have received, but yet He stands in our place so that if we believe in Him, we could be forgiven. Do you realize God demonstrates His love by sending His Son so that everyone who believes in Him would be saved. Do you know that? That's how God shows His love. And He's committed to it. I was reading. uh, I'm going through my Bible reading plan. I, I use one of those. I encourage you to use them. I like them. I check my little boxes. I take great pride in checking my boxes. It's just what I do. Um, but I finished 2 Chronicles this last week. And in ver- chapter 33 of 2 Chronicles, we read about King Manasseh. Now, if you're a Christian, you might just somewhat remember that name. If you know the, the book of Kings or Chronicles, he's like the most wicked king of the southern kingdom, uh, of the kingdom of Judah wicked king. He sets up altars all over the land. He worships false gods. He takes his sons, kills them on the, on the altars to false gods to sacrifice them. Wicked, wicked king. I mean, he just pulls all of God's people into this drain hole of sin. Wicked king. And yet, in Chronicles, towards the very end, starting in verse 10 of chapter 33, we read that God sends Assyria to come and overcome Judah. And they take Manasseh, and it says they take him by hooks, and they bring him into, uh, into Assyria where he's held captive. And do you know what he does? He repents. It says he humbles himself before God. And he's restored eventually back into his kingdom and he begins a whole spiritual reformation right there. Now, when I read that, like part of me goes, really? That guy? Like, uh, he sinned in every way possible. He completely and outrightly defied the rule of God, rebelled against him, led other people into rebelling against God. And yet, because God sends his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. Any who will come and confess their sins and believe in him are forgiven. And so Manasseh is forgiven. Forgiven. What you hear is it doesn't matter who you are today. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter what you have done. If we come and repent and believe in Jesus Christ, we will be forgiven of our sins and made into his kingdom citizens and be brought into his family as children. That is the commitment God has. That is how he has demonstrated his love through the sending of his son so that we would have great assurance when we come, we know that the Father will welcome us into his arms. That's what happens when we send missionaries. That's what we're proclaiming. That's what we're partnering with them. We're sending missionaries 
to go global to whatever it is that God leads them for the purpose of proclaiming this God. Just want you to think, this is the God that we proclaim. So all these people in other parts of the world who are, are worshiping false gods are going after Allah or whatever other religion it is other than Christianity. When we go to them with the message, we're offering hope, we're offering life, we're offering them the, the best news that there is, that there is a God who created and that there is forgiveness of sins in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now currently, we at our church, about 10%, I think it's like 9 point something, 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 um, of our budget is on missions. And in one sense, it's really good. Like, most churches are really happy to have, hey, 10%, that's good, right? But I want you to think, we have a whole book. Yes, it's a short book, I get that. But it's a whole book of the Bible dedicated to affirming a man who loved and supported missionaries for the proclamation of the gospel. So as I read this, say, man, when we, when we send well, we're partnering with those who are going with the message. Like, I want us to send more and more. And I want us to be known for how we send. Not for our name to be great, but for God's name to be great. So while I hear we're at, we're at that 10%-ish mark, I don't want to be content with that. I want to know that we are sending people short-term and long-term for the purpose of the proclamation of God's name. Because as we do that, we demonstrate our faith. We demonstrate our love for God. We demonstrate our love to others. It's how we are called to live. So let's pause now. Let's just switch gears. We'll just look at Dr. Fries and we'll look at him just for a few moments. Dr. Fries is a man who does not walk in the truth. He puts himself first. He rejects apostolic authority. That's what it means in, in verse 9 where it says he does not acknowledge our authority. We see he's slanderous. He's inhospitable. And he removes those who disagree with him. Anyone who wants to be hospitable, he gets rid of them. I mean, he's an unloving tyrant. We have an angry man who's inhospitable to missionary. He uses his position to bully others in the church. He's the very opposite of Gaius. He doesn't love the gospel. He's not saying, hallowed be the name of God. He's saying, hallowed be my name. Now, I want you to see. Now, what, what I want us to see is where is he at? Where is he at? Just think. Where is he at? He's in the church. He's in the church. That's where Diotrephes is at. And somehow, is some level of leadership or influence within the church. We don't know exactly, but, but he's got some level. Now, it might be, how can this be? That might be a thought. I thought the church was supposed to be a place of love. How, how can this happen? The biggest problem for the church is never what is outside the church. It's always what's inside. That's the biggest problem. This is why Paul, when he's writing in Acts chapter 20 to the Ephesian elders, he says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, so from among yourselves, from among you, if this is the Ephesian elders, from among you, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The biggest problem is always that which comes from within. That which comes from without, the church has proven to be able to stand firm against. 
But that which comes within is where those, so, those seeds of division and discord are sown. And so what I, what I want us to just take from this is just a little bit of um, self-evaluation. And just pray, is there any area of sin in your life right now that you know that you're just leaving out there unconfessed? You're just kind of letting this lion exist. And you're thinking, you know, he's a tame lion. Doesn't really seem to hurt much. Is there anything that you're just saying, you know, I know I've dealt with all of this, but there is this one area. Because you know what happens? The tame lion eventually turns, right? Because what do lions do? They kill. That's what they do. And so there's times, I, I don't think diatrophy starts like this. I don't think there's many people who walk in saying, hey, I'm diatrophies. I'm here to cause problems. But we, we become more and more like this as sin is left. If there's sexual immorality in your life, if there's lying, if there's stealing, if there's lust, just know that those sins, they're not tame. Like, they're not going to stay in a pretty little cage and just stay there and not really affect the rest of your life. You ever get like poison oak? You ever get poison oak? You know what poison oak does? It spreads. Can't touch it. Kind of moves up the arm, moves across the body, moves down the other arm. It spreads. That's what sin does. You can't contain it. It will always spread. It wants to devour all of you. And so what I just want us to do is, if there's anything in your life, I, I just encourage you, confess it. Confess it to God today. Before we even come to the table, confess it to God. Ask forgiveness you need to i'd love to talk with you about it i know chris would the other elders uh, uh husbands talk to your wives wives talk to your husbands let's pray with one another let's encourage one another let's come alongside one another that we would encourage and would help each other grow in the faith that that we won't have people that are causing discord and division like this because we know it's a reality it's been a reality for two thousand years within the church so what do we do John says in verse 11, he commands us to imitate good. Now, I think what he's getting at is, is to walk in the truth. I think that's what he means. Now, at this point, I think we can build on our definition a little bit. We started with walk in the truth is obedience to Christ. But based upon the context of this letter, it seems that it would, it would be at least saying we love one another. So walking in the truth is loving other believers. And if we were to press it even more, a very specific way in which we walk in the truth is by the loving and supporting of missionaries. So walking in truth would, yes, generally be obedience to Christ, would, yes, be our love for one another. And specifically, in this book, it's how we support missionaries and we love them well. And so what does it look like? Well, we'll know if we're walking in the truth by our lives. If you look at verse uh, 11, Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. It's, again, by our actions, by our lifestyle. And so if we're going to imitate good, I just, I just want to give three things to think about. Let's remind ourselves of the gospel regularly. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel. I need you to remind myself of the gospel. I need to remind you of the gospel. We need to remind one another. We do that through the preaching. We do that through reading the Bible. We do that in table groups. We do that by just having encouraging conversations with other believers where we pray, we support, we love them. 
But if we are going to have a grand global vision of the gospel going from here into all areas of the world, as we see clearly in the gospel, it will only be as we are rooted in the gospel that we have a strong gospel foundation. And so I just want to encourage us as a church, let's keep going deep in the word. Let's keep reading the word. Let's keep growing in our knowledge of God. Let's send missionaries in a manner worthy of God. Number two, let's send missionaries. If we're going to imitate good, let's send missionaries in a manner worthy of God. So if you were here last week, we had two friends that were here, two, two family members in a sense, right? Brothers and sisters in Christ, Andy and Lindsay, they're, they're friends of Chris and Caitlin marriage, and they're missionaries in South Asia to an unreached people group. And they were here, and they, uh, they simply shared a little bit uh, of their life and, and what that looks like for them. And they were at my house on Saturday night, and they said that they are primarily supported by one church. There's about four churches all together and many individuals within those church, those churches, but primarily one support, uh, one church supports them. Now, this was new to me, so I asked them, like, what does that look like? And, and what it is, it's that when they were getting ready to go, they weren't having to travel to 100 to 200 churches trying to gather support but they were supported primarily from their local sending church and a few other very close partnering churches. And when they came on furlough, which they were here for a few months, they weren't then traveling to 100 or 200 churches trying to thank people, trying to help people understand what happened. But you know what they were able to do? They were able to sit in their local church and be ministered to with the gospel, be encouraged with the gospel. I mean, they're, they're in a place where there are no other Christians and so how important is that when they come back, they can just sit and be encouraged by others with the gospel? Man, I, I was challenged. I was convicted. So that's what sending well is. And so I, I want us to encourage, as we, as we grow in what it is to send, I want us to think, let's send in a manner worthy of God. Let's send in a way that supports and encourages. Let's not wor be worried just about quantity, how many are always going. Let's make sure we send well. And you all, I, I want to turn this to you. You have done this already. So I say that with hopes of encouraging you. You've already demonstrated your faith in God. You've demonstrated your love for one another in the way you're sending. So many of you know, as we talked already, we have five four and well, kind of five coming from this church to go to Lebanon. Uh, we budgeted money in our budget, $4,000, just to, just to put forward towards uh, this, this, pro, this missions, um, or really any missions in sending. Uh, we also have had large gifts donated for this trip, and then we had an auction that was a couple of months ago, month and a half ago, where over $3,000 was brought in at that time, and primarily that money has come from this church. A little bit from outside, maybe other believers, maybe unbelievers. But God is using you already in amazing ways for loving others, for demonstrating that love, demonstrating that faith, for helping to send well. We're already doing this at this church. So I say that to encourage, and yet also let's, let's not slow down. But let's continue to press on. And let's see what happens as we continue to invest, as we seek to send. Not only for short term, like we're doing this next week, as, ten, as five people from here join 10 or 12 other people, and we were short term, just 10 days in Lebanon. But let's consider 
if God's calling us to go for long-term also. That's really the last one. If we're going to imitate good, let us also consider if God's calling us to go. Um, Everyone's a sender. If you're here, you're a sender. That's how we're all called to live. We support the proclamation of the gospel in all nations. But if we're if we really understand the gospel and that we are all like Manasseh. We, we look at Manasseh and we kind of go, that guy's like the worst. Mm, but we're all like him, aren't we? We're all born rebelling against God. We're all born rejecting God's rule and authority. We might sin differently, but we all reject it. And yet God, by his grace, sends his son so that we could be saved. The more we understand that gospel, the more we want to communicate that gospel to others, the more we want to demonstrate that love and our faith into all the world. So it's only obvious if we emphasize the sending and the missions, we're not only going to go for short term, but we're going to go for long term. And I want us to be excited about that. And I pray that there's someone here, even right now, that's just going, man, that That'd be pretty amazing. What would that look like? One thing I want you to know it looks like is we'll send you well. Right? We send well. Now, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, so don't even ask me a question on that. I'll save that for Chris Gorman. He's back. He's been gone for two weeks. He can answer all the questions. But we'll send well because we want to partner in the proclamation of the gospel. And so I pray that as we grow, not just numerically, but as we grow deeper in our love for the gospel, that our desire to send and go will increase exponentially, and we will see many, many people go short-term, but also many go long-term. What we have, we have a whole book dedicated to affirming a man who has demonstrated his faith in the love of missionaries in the proclamation of the gospel. And what we have seen is really a call for the church to do the same. And so let us pray as we go into communion. Our Father, we thank you just this day where we come into your word. And we see that, God, you are a holy, a glorious, a mighty God. And you have demonstrated your your love through the sending of your Son, Jesus, that all who believe in you might be saved. God, may we rejoice in that. Lord, I pray that everyone here would just rejoice in the fact that they know you. Lord, I pray everyone here has repented of their sins, has trusted in you. And if there is anyone who is here who has not, that they would trust in you today, that they would believe in your son, Jesus Christ, as their Savior. And as they do that, they become citizens of your kingdom, uh, children in your family, but yet also we become senders. We become those who are now partnering in the proclamation of your gospel unto all the world. I pray that we do that well here, God. God, give me, give the elders wisdom as we look at how we lead well in this area. Lord, may we be excited about your name being proclaimed everywhere. Not our name, but your name being proclaimed in Thurston County and all of America and into the unreached areas of this world, God. Give us a heart for the glory of God, which is evidenced in our desire for missions. God, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. In your name, Jesus, amen.